should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my constant friend is he. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled, his tender word I hear, and resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears, oh, step I can see, his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me, his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy, I sing because I'm free, his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me.
into our hearts, into our hearts. Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in today. Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. Welcome to our program tonight. My name is Hal Brady, and I'm so delighted you've joined us. As always, my prayer is that this will be a blessing to you, both in word and music. Welcome. Now, would you please join me as we read the Scripture lesson. It comes from John's Gospel, chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the Twelve, one of the Twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the marks of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me, please, for a word of prayer? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, which art our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. If someone fails us, what do we do? We remember. If someone makes a mistake, what do we do? We remember. If someone disappoints us, what do we do? We remember. When the disciples came to Thomas with the fantastic news of the risen Savior, they asked him, Would you believe that Jesus is risen? Would you believe that the Jesus who died among the two thieves is alive? Would you believe that he appeared to Mary and to us? Thomas very emphatically said, No, I would not believe such an idle tale. Poor Thomas, poor Thomas, for at that moment he ruined his reputation. We refer to him as Doubting Thomas, as if to say that doubt is horrible, the opposite of faith, the unforgivable sin. There is a Doubting Thomas Anonymous for those people who have trouble believing in blind faith. Yet as someone who believes that faith is not the absence of doubt, but rather the mastery of doubt, I've always wanted to defend Thomas. I've always wanted to rehabilitate his reputation. A God who leaves no room for doubt leaves no room for me, said Frederick Buechner, and so it is for many of us. First of all, I want to give a word about Thomas. A word about Thomas. Somehow, many of us have allowed ourselves to believe that faith is fixed 
permanent and a place, and it's not a journey. Consequently, we look to Thomas as an outsider. We look at him as someone who didn't quite get with the program. We blame him, and we call him Doubting Thomas. And who wants to be called Doubting Hal, Doubting Ann, Doubting Susan, Doubting Bill, Doubting Thomas? But let's look more closely at Thomas for a few minutes. Thomas had many noble traits, to say the least. Who of us remember that Thomas left his family, his friends, and his job to follow after Jesus? Who of us remembers that Thomas was faithful during the three years of Jesus' public ministry? Who of us remembers that Thomas dared to ask questions that the other disciples were afraid to ask? Jesus was in the upper room that Thursday night with Thomas and the rest of the disciples. Jesus was trying to explain to them what the cross and crucifixion meant. He also tried to explain to them what the resurrection would mean. But these disciples, and particularly Thomas, didn't understand. But Jesus said to them, I know you believe in essence. Thomas says, we do not believe. How can we know the way? But then Jesus gave his most precious words. He said, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, Thomas was practical. Thomas was not going to pretend that he knew something that he didn't. And there's a certain amount of integrity in that. And then Thomas was the one that said, let's go with Jesus to Jerusalem, even to the cross. You remember Thomas and Jesus and the disciples were facing a very tough time ahead of them. Word had come that Lazarus was sick. And so for two days, they did nothing. But then at the end of two days, Jesus said, we need to go see about Lazarus. We need to go see about Lazarus. That meant he had to go back to Judea, which was a very dangerous place, and he would undoubtedly suffer for it. Then the disciples began to argue. Some of them said, no, let's don't go back to there to see Lazarus. That would be suffering for you, Master. They all argued that way except for Thomas. Thomas was courageous. Thomas said, let us also go with him even if we may die with him. As I said, Thomas was a courageous individual. It is said that a fellow named James Forrester was the first American to climb Mount Everest. And he said that during his journey up that peak, it was 29,000 foot peak, that he suffered hypothermia, he suffered dehydration, mental problems, physical problems, all kind of problems. Other people have failed before him, but they ask him, how did he make it? He says, you know, you don't conquer Everest. You have to conquer yourself. And that's what Thomas did. He was courageous enough to conquer himself. He conquered himself. And so he was willing to go and die with Jesus if necessary. And then we remember Thomas. He was a man of great faith and devotion later on. You remember, he wanted to see for himself the hands of Jesus, the suffering hands of Jesus. But when Jesus came back and offered them to him, he knew, and he didn't ask for that. He didn't want to see at that point. He believed. He believed. And so he said the greatest words of the New Testament, my Lord and my God. And who of us will ever forget the Mar Thomas Christian Church in India? It is said that 
in the first century, Thomas established that church. He was a missionary among the first. And he established a Christian colony there even before the church was set up in Europe. And so he set that up. And you can imagine in the 17th century when the Portuguese arrived and they wanted to convert the heathen and they found a Christian church already there. Who can imagine the astonishment of these Portuguese when they got there? But that was Thomas. Thomas established the Mar Thomas Christian Church. Somebody said, you know, there's a lot of evidence for UFOs. People have experienced UFOs. But this person said, but you know, I have not experienced a UFO for myself, and so I'm not going to believe. And then this person said, people have experienced Mary crying, tears coming down her eyes on these statues. But he said, I have not seen one of those statues, so I'm not going to believe. It'll be a heresy to me. You know what I think? I think Thomas, being a member of the apostles, established the integrity of our minds that Jesus intends for all of his apostles and all of his disciples. The integrity of our minds. Jesus died for our sins, not our minds. And then secondly, a word about doubt. A word about doubt. Upon the tragic death of a friend, Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote this beautiful poem called In Memoriam. In Memoriam. For years he blamed God for the accident. It took him 16 years to get over this. Finally he wrote these words of faith. There lives more faith in honest doubt than, believe me, in half the creeds. We would not have this beautiful poem had not Thomas faced his doubts, had not Alfred Lord Tennyson faced his doubts, and they both won. The other disciples said to, to him, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas answered, I will not believe unless I see for myself. Now John's gospel is the only one that records this Easter experience between Jesus and Thomas. And you remember John's gospel was written 70 years after Easter. So it's believed that the recipients of this gospel were also going through a time of great skepticism in their own faith. They believed Jesus was coming back early. He didn't come back. And so consequently, it was almost like this experience of Jesus' resurrection never happened. But I need to tell you something, beloved. This story of Thomas and his struggle with faith is told not only for Thomas, but for the early church and for us. This story is told as a story of reassurance. In other words, we are being reassured that it's all right to doubt as long as we continue to struggle with it. We are being reassured that other people have doubted and come through successful. And that's the message here. Do you know the truth is that humankind itself is not divided between believers and doubters. The truth is that we ourselves are divided. We're strange mixtures of doubt and faith, all of us. And so I say to you, faith is not simply the absence of doubt. Faith is the mastery of doubt. Let me tell you something. Some days it's easy to believe. The sun is out. The light is shining. Jesus is great. God is gracious. All is good. But then there are other days that it's not so easy to believe. In other words, we're living in a skeptical society. Primitive humankind depended on God for everything. Because of technological things, modern humankind depends on God for practically nothing. And someone said, if you 
lose God's activities, you lose the trace of God Himself. And then there are a lot of people in this world that don't believe because of the lack of moral progress in the world. If God is God, they say, and all this suffering is going on, why won't God do something about it? Why won't God do something about it? That's a question that's bothered a lot of people. Numerous college students have been asked this question, what do you have against the Christian faith? So many of them say, and they answer with a variation of answers, but it all goes back to suffering. I don't believe in a God who would allow Auschwitz. I don't believe in a God who allowed my sister to die of leukemia when everybody's praying for her. My friend Bishop Bevel Jones said that sometime in your ministry, Hal, you'll come to a place where you get on your knees and you'll say, God, are you really there? That happened to me. I had the funeral of a five-year-old girl who died of bone cancer. We went through all the agonies with that family. And then after the service, the casket was opened, and we went through the agonies all over again. And when that was done, I was absolutely drained. I went back to my house and got on my knees, and I said, Lord, are you really there? Lord, are you really there? And yet, somehow, I was on my knees, which assured me that God was there. But God doesn't really have any trouble with honest doubt. Not at all. The only time doubts become sin is when we delight in our doubt, when we parade our agnosticism. That's the only time it becomes sin. Otherwise, God calls us to an authentic faith, and consequently that means sometimes we have to struggle with our doubt. And then thirdly, a word about faith. Taking the initiative in the midst of doubt. The Associated Press came up with a story on August 6, 1992. It seems that there was a man named John Shell. John Shell was from Kentucky. He died at 134 years of age. He left two children, one 90 and one 7. To me, that is taking the initiative for faith in the midst of doubt. There's something crucial in this text. I wonder if you remember it. Listen to this. It is reported that eight days later, the disciples went into the upper room and Thomas was with them. Did you hear that? And Thomas was with them. Remember, this Thomas was the one who doubted the resurrection. And yet he was with them. He stayed with the people of faith. In other words, he acted on the faith he had. And at this point, the story does not move on what he didn't believe, on what he did believe. He acted on the faith he had. He was in that upper room. Jesus came back again a, a few days later, touched him, and he said, My Lord and my God. There's another story in Mark's Gospel that illustrates the same thing. The father of an epileptic boy, he went to Jesus, and he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And that story didn't fall on what he didn't believe, but on what he did believe. And so I want to say to you, act on whatever faith you have. You may not have much faith, but act on it. And you'll one day come to the conclusion with Thomas, my Lord and my God. There's a fellow named Horace Bushnell when he went to Yale University as a student. He was asked what he believed, what religion he was a member of. He said he was an unbeliever. An unbeliever. But finally they said to him, well, do you believe anything? He said, yes, I believe in this universe that there is a power of right. They said, all right, act on what you do believe. So Horace Bushnell acted on what he did believe, 
And a few years later, he became a mighty prophet of the living God. And one day he said, he said, I know Jesus Christ better than I know anybody else in Hartford, Connecticut. And then John Wesley, the great Methodist leader, he was confronted with his doubt. He was confronted with it. And so he went to a friend and he said, listen, how can I preach the faith when my own faith is not certain? And he said to him, he said, preach the faith until you get it and then preach the faith because you have it. Preach the faith because you have it. He acted on the faith he had. I remember reading a book not long ago, and the title of it was, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. You know what he's saying in our terms? He's saying, act on the faith you have. Now, a lot of people do not believe in Jesus Christ, His mission and life like some of us, but these people still believe that Jesus offered the soundest philosophy the world has ever seen. Jesus was the most God-conscious man they had ever seen. Jesus was a perfect individual. Jesus was the most compassionate person who ever lived. They believe that. And so I say, act on what you do believe. Act on what you do believe. Now let me ask you this question. Do you believe it's better to be kind than unkind? Then act on what you believe. The world has not seen what would happen if people were all kind. Act on the faith you have. Let me just share with you my own personal experience. After I had struggled for four years with this faith, I felt like God wanted me to preach. So I went to the superintendent and I said, Listen, I think God has called me to preach. I said, But I think I better tell you, I don't know anything about God. I don't know anything about the Bible. I don't know anything about the church. I don't know anything about people. As a matter of fact, I don't know anything about anything. He said, good, I got just the church for you. Well, I don't know exactly what he was saying, but I do know I acted on what little faith I had. Take the initiative. Act on whatever faith you have. And then a final word, a final word. The world says seeing is believing. The Christian says believing is seeing. Do you see the difference? The world says seeing is believing. The Christian says believing is seeing. Now to quote you this verse of Scripture, I think you'll get the point. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying the faith is not going to be transported now mainly through earthquakes. It's going to be shared from one person talking to another about what that gospel means to him or her. In other words, it's going to be heard and believed and read. I'm talking about the Word of God. Pauline was an outstanding Christian. I had her funeral while I was in Dallas. But Pauline came in one day long before she died. She came in from the grocery store and she was putting up her groceries and she left a pocketbook open in the, the den. It had a little booklet in there, something like the four spiritual laws or something like that. And her daughter came in and saw it and said, Mother, is this yours? Pauline answered, Yes, it is. I've asked Jesus to come into my heart today. You see, Pauline early had talked to a woman in the grocery store. And this woman has said, Pauline, you need to know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. And so when the daughter says, is this yours, mother? Yes, she said. 
And I asked Jesus to come into my heart today. And that's what she did. And her life was beautiful, marvelous. And she experienced and she shared the message of God in her heart each and every day. What was it that he said? Listen, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for your blessed presence in our lives. We are grateful, oh God, for faith. We are grateful that you've trusted us to believe in you. Lord, sometimes we struggle with faith. Sometimes we have a lot of trouble and we get into the doubting business. But help us to know that you can handle that, that you only want us to struggle for authentic faith and to be real in our faith, and you will honor our struggle. So help us not to worry, just to trust in you and to allow you to live in and through us. Thank you for faith, our faith. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you so very much for joining us tonight. And I trust that you will continue to be with us. Blessings on you and yours. Good night. When the day is done And there's no one else around While I'm lying here in bed You're in my heart, you're in my head You're all I need You're all I need There are a million voices Calling out my name But you're the one I want to hear So make the others disappear You're all I need You're all I need You are all I need When I'm surrounded You are all I need If I'm by myself You fill me when I'm empty There is nothing else You're all I need When the morning comes And your mercy is renewed 